We are coming off one of the darkest weeks in NHL history, possibly hockey history, and uh, Kyle Beach, a former member of the Chicago Blackhawks, former first-round draft pick in 2008, revealed himself as John Doe, who was sexually assaulted by uh, then-video coach Brad Aldrich in 2010. He waited 11 years to finally get his story heard, and it took 11 years for action to be taken but it's finally happened. Action has been taken. Where does the NHL and the world of hockey go from here? Episode 292 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time. To lace them up, here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. We're not going to sugarcoat it, Brett. This is going to be a very serious topic, and it's going to take a while to dissect. And I hope we don't have to talk about a story this gruesome ever again. It's it, it's sickening. It's yeah. just sickening. Yeah, I think it's it's might be the first time I... Can't even think of another time, actually, but might be the first time where I'm, like, upset at being a hockey fan. It's just, like, yep. you know, it makes it really makes you question why we even follow this sport, because it's, um, mm-hmm. it's very um, disturbing and very depressing um, to, yep. to hear all this stuff come out. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, in the past we've talked about, like, you know, I, I think uh, Patrick Kane's sexual assault case happened uh, when we were doing this so we did talk about that there's you know there's some a lot of off ice stuff but yeah this one you know the Mi- Michael Mitchell Miller one uh, that you know yeah. Arizona Coyotes guy um, we also talked about uh, the Mike Babcock stuff uh, that yeah. happened shortly after he was fired from the Maple Leafs. Right, we also Bill Peters. About the Bill Peters incident, yeah, that was yeah. a big one. But yeah, in terms of just like broad spread topics, a lot of people yeah. um, stood by and did nothing. Um, this is probably as big as it gets. Yep. Like it, words can't explain just how morally wrong this story yep. is in so many ways. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the Blackhawks investigation went public this week, um, and I think this is kind of interesting to me because I re- I remember thinking before this stuff was that like basically what happened was the NHL said like okay Blackhawks you just take care of it, uh, and I was worried that it was going to be um, partial to the Blackhawks and they would find out that like no one was at fault and nothing, you know, nothing could be done or something like that, but that couldn't be further from the truth. So I guess that's like the good news is that like, oh, they actually did their job and they actually investigated um, this whole situation. And, and it seems like uh, heads did get fired and all that stuff. So um, of course there's still some uh, people in this league that are, that still have a, uh, positions of power um, that shouldn't have positions of power, but um, but yeah, at the same time, there's you know there's a still like some damage that's been done and accountability that's been acted. So 
Um, so I, I guess it, in the general sense that I guess it's a good thing that this, obviously this is a good thing that this has all come forward, even though it took 11 years to actually get it all sorted out. Um, so, so to start off and then we'll get into general thoughts, um, Kyle Beach comes out as the John Doe in this Blackhawk case. I guess there's another John Doe, but I think the, uh, a big reason why Kyle Beach actually comes out was because in the report, there's like a lot of identifying, um, things that you could lead to Kyle Beach being this guy that, uh, was, uh, assaulted by, uh, Brad Aldrich, the video coach, um, and one of them was being that it was reported that he was the black ace um, in the playoffs in 2010. And, and like, there was just other things of like someone saying how, um, you know, this guy is like a huge person, whereas Brad Aldrich is a smaller person. So uh, maybe it was like, it added to people not taking it as seriously or whatever. But um, obviously that's wrong, but um, but anyways, he speaks to Rick Westhead and he comes out and says like, um, he felt like, uh, so there, there's a whole 30 minutes where he's interviewed by Rick Westhead and you should watch it. Um, anyone who hasn't, you, you should watch it. It's, um, very, very powerful. Um, and very, um, yeah, it just really gets to the heart of the matter and it shows how serious we all should have been taking this. Um. Anyways, he speaks to Rick Westhead, and to paraphrase it, uh, he, um, so the video coach, Brad Eldridge, he got his name on the trophy, or the Stanley Cup, he also got his day in the Cup, and basically he says that he felt like he was nothing in this organization, and he felt like he, uh, just the fact that Brad Eldridge got his name on the Cup um, and was able to spend the day with it, um, just prove, and he, you know, he didn't at all, just proves that he was in the wrong and everyone else, like, you know, Brad Aldrich was right in what he was doing, um, which is, you know, obviously that's ridiculous to say. Um, and it just, um, yeah, just a very sad situation because it's, you know, it, it's weird. Like, yes, he, he didn't play any games for them on the 2010 season, um, but you know, he's still a person. He's, he's still there. He was still involved. It's just, um, it's just, you know, Brad Aldrich had more power than, uh, Kyle Beach did, uh, despite the whole size dynamic and stuff. Um, as a result, uh, Stan Bowman steps down as a Blackhawks GM and also, um, which, uh, which is kind of interesting too, cause like the Blackhawks aren't doing so hot. Uh, they went, um, I think they went their first six games without holding a lead. Um, um, they also, uh, traded their first round pick this year, uh, to Columbus in that Seth Jones trade. Um, oh yeah, they're 7 and 2, so they have had a, I think they've scored, um, before, but they haven't had a lead yet. Well, no, I think actually, they actually no. They, they were they they leading right? against Toronto, and then they blew it. So right, that's right. They right. had at least one lead, and they haven't been able to hold it. So, that's right. Yeah, but that was like the seventh game, and then they lost to Carolina, and they lost to St. Louis. 
Um, so they've only had a lead once, and that was in Toronto, um, which says more about Toronto than it does about Chicago. But, um, but yeah. So, anyways, yeah, they're they're on a terrible streak. I also I forget which game it was, but I saw this on Twitter that um, Jeremy called like there was like a timeout, and Jeremy Colton just gave the players a whiteboard. Um, just to draw up their own plays. Usually, obviously, a coach just draws up their own plays because they, you know, that's their job. <laughs> he literally gave the whiteboard to the players so that they can just draw up a play, which is just, uh, which is probably the craziest thing ever. Um, but yeah, I don't think we all expected this because, um, just to get a little bit sidetracked here, because uh, like you know, they go out and get Mark Andre Fleury who won the Vezina. They get Seth Jones, and yeah, he had a bad season last year, but, um, you know, he's still a pretty good uh, defenseman for them. And, they, you know, they traded quite a lot for him. They get Tyler Johnson, uh, Kirby Dak is back, uh, Jonathan Taze is back, um, and, yeah, nothing's working, it seems. Um, and what, what's interesting is, is that, like, okay, Stan Bowman leaves. He shouldn't have even been in this, like, he should have stepped down as soon as this investigation was happening, because, uh, that doesn't make sense, and then he, uh, he basically just gets Flurry and Seth Jones, because he's trying to keep his job, and then he steps down anyways for a, a separate issue, so, um, so yeah, Chicago Blackhawks are a mess right now, um, not off the ice, and on the ice as well, so, um, it's pretty crazy, but, Anyways, what, what is your general thoughts? I, I know I talked a lot here at the beginning, but uh, yeah, first off, what's your general thoughts on this whole situation? And then we can talk about uh, Stan Bowman and the Blackhawks after that. So in my analysis, I'm, I'm going to leave the hockey part of the Chicago Blackhawks struggles aside and save that for later. And mostly just going to focus on... Yeah. Um, Kyle Beach and his emotional story with Rick, with uh, TSM's Rick Westhead, and partly because of Rick Westhead's reporting um, that the story got as big as it did. So, uh, tip of the hat to Rick Westhead. Also, a tip of the hat to Paul Vincent, who uh, is one of the guys that, right from the get-go, was taking Kyle Beach's word very seriously and was advocating for him and uh, approached the organization and said, hey, um, this happened we we need to deal with this what do you need me to do and he, he did basically everything in his power uh, to get this story out and for years um, with, without his lack of trying um, Kyle Beach's words uh, went unnoticed or was ignored uh, which which really uh, which really says a lot when you look at Kyle Beach uh, as a player right now he's currently 31 years old playing overseas in Europe and early on in the interview with Rick Westhead um, he was basically asked so so what are you up to these days and he said he's playing in Germany in a city called Erfurt I believe that's how it's pronounced uh, apologies if I butchered it uh, for the Black Dragons uh, goes on to say in detail that this is a small club in the third league in Germany, not even the main league, third league in Germany. But he says they're treated like a family uh, by the management, 
Um, very, very open door policy. Uh, they do whatever they can to make the players feel safe. That says a lot right there. A guy 31 years old playing a third league in Germany because he feels respected, he feels wanted, and the management and players, everyone fights for each other, they'll do anything for each other. He cares more about playing in a positive environment mm -hmm. than playing in the highest level of hockey. This was a guy that was drafted 11th overall by the Blackhawks in 2008 in Ottawa. That, that year, that draft was held in Ottawa. I was there for the entire first round. I probably don't recall hearing his name called, but his name was called four picks before Eric frickin' Carlson. Yep. So this team obviously thought he was a very good hockey player to draft him that high, and by all accounts, seriously butchered his development right from the get-go. He played... I think just over 200 AHL games, but not a single NHL regular season game to his resume. And he's played a lot overseas uh, since his AHL days uh, came to a close. Now, going further into the story, um, he, he then goes on to explain what he told his family and how much he told them initially and what their reaction was. He said his mom cried for days, adding that she felt responsible, like she should have protected me and felt there was nothing that, that she could do. Like his, his mother was probably miles and miles away when this yep. incident happened and she feels responsible. Like how messed up is that? Yeah. Where the people that obviously wish they had the power to do something, but it wasn't up to them to, to do something in real time. Someone should have stepped in in the organization in that moment, in the months after that. And instead, the cup chase seemed more important. They couldn't even tackle it, like, at the start of training camp the next year. It, it just kept going on and on for years and years and years, which we'll, we'll get back to uh, in a little bit. The other two points that really stuck out with me um, was the Blackhawks mental skills coach, Jim Gary, also known as Doc Gary. Um, he was also a counselor at the time. And Beach was asked about what Jim Gary said, to which he replied, he's just beginning the process to put into words how this incident has impacted his life. Um, he goes on to say that there were things that he did, he acted out, he snapped. Um, just after this incident, after what he was told by Doc Gary, he relied on alcohol, he relied on drugs, and, and he feels vindicated now. But it seems like Doc Gary told him that, like, hey, this is on you, this, this is your fault. When he's clearly the victim here. Right. And that in itself is tough to process. This is where it hit me. And if you look back at the entire interview, it's one thing to read the transcript. It's another just to hear this guy. This guy is trying his best not to cry for the entire 25 minutes. This dude is trembling. This is a 31-year-old man who's dealt with this for 11 years, waiting for justice, waiting for some sort of answer. 
waiting to feel like he's been vindicated, like he matters, like people care about his story, that people believe his story. And he was asked about the Michigan young man that was assaulted by Aldrich later after the Blackhawks gave um, a strong recommendation for Aldrich to seek work elsewhere. And Aldrich went on to sexually assault a minor. So he was asked about this incident, and he absolutely lost it. Like, he turned into a puddle. Yep. And, and he, he couldn't contain his emotions anymore. He was, he was crying, and he felt, he, he felt sorry that this, this even happened. This, this whole story of Kyle Beach and Brad Aldrich, it was refueled after someone, while he was playing overseas, asked him about uh, Brad Aldrich and, and the incident there. And he Googles Brad Aldrich's name. That's how he finds out, out about this Michigan kid wow. who was sexually assaulted yep. by Aldrich. And he felt responsible because he didn't speak up loud enough about this. And since that point forward, that's when his voice grew louder and louder and louder because he felt it was his duty to make sure that this didn't happen again. The guy who was a sexual assault victim feels sorry because someone else got sexually assaulted by Brad Aldrin. He said sorry before anyone on the Blackhawks, before anyone in the league. And that's messed up. The yeah. fact that he said sorry first. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely messed up. The whole thing is like, yeah, he, sh- he shouldn't even say sorry at all. I mean, I get what he's saying that, you know, he, he, he should have said it louder enough, but he did try. Um, he did, he did uh, send it, you know, he did talk to the coaches. He did, uh, you know, to the point where, like, you know, John Joel Quinville, the coach, Stan Bowman, um, Al um, McIsaac, uh, were all talking about what they should do and stuff. So all of those people knew. Shevel Dayoff, the assistant GM, knew. Um, even, like, you know, I, I think eventually the whole team knew. Uh, but at the time, everyone knew. It even went up to Donald Fair, uh, the NHL PA guy, um, and he... And all of them ignored it or or purposely uh, covered it up so that they could start winning games and stuff. What's disgraceful, I I found, was that Donald Fair, whose sole responsibility um, as the NHLPA head is to be, uh, to protect the players. That's like literally his only job. He can be terrible at the CBA, he can be terrible at anything else in his job, as long as he's protecting his players, he's doing his job. This is, like, the exact opposite of that. You can't, like, like, you, like, this, like, it, it just boggles my mind to the fact that I can't even speak. <laughs> like, he, he didn't even, like, he ignored this report and just went on with his life assuming that like okay yeah sexual assault it's not a big deal or anything like that he literally ignored this report um and it's like i can understand you know somewhat why black the anyone who's working for the blackhawks at the time 
wanted to cover this up because, you know, they were winning the cup and all that stuff. But Donald Fair it doesn't work for the Blackhawks. He works for the players. And he he doesn't have the players' hearts in mind. And I feel like people should be taking that more seriously. The fact that, like, the NHLPA, like, literally does not care about their players. Um, you can talk about their concussion stuff, and that's another argument, too. But, like, this is evidence A of why Donald Fair should not be the NHLPA head right now. Um, that's ridiculous, too. And, and yeah, you're, you're totally right to, um, to, to transition. But uh, back to that, it's like Kyle Beach should not feel like the victim. He should never feel like he was in the wrong. He should never feel like he was invisible to the Blackhawks and all that stuff. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, um, yeah, it's, it's upsetting. It's just, it's just upsetting. That's, that's really the main, main thing that, that, um, that's just terrible and stuff. Um, and, and he, he didn't have to even reveal his identity. Yeah. Like he could have just remained anonymous People could have just well, taken his word of gospel, that, but may, maybe he felt this was the only way to get people's attention, is to finally put a face to the name. Yeah, that, that's true, it's, but... It's major cojones to do this. Yeah, that that's true, but as I mentioned before, in the report, there were a, a lot of details that were leading to, like, okay, this guy's Kyle Beach. Like, they, there was a lot of evidence that this guy's Kyle Beach. So, in a way, the report kind of doxed him and he was kind of in a way he was kind of forced to mention that uh to come out as the as the victim um so i which is also which is also pretty sad when you think about it like we're 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 trying like as a league as the nhl they're just like we're trying to be inclusive like like um you know curtis gabriel and hockey hockey uh, it's not just hockey fights cancer it's like hockey matters to everyone you're, you're trying to get the LGBTQ inclusion there. Um, you, you're, you're trying to, to make your league into a more inclusive brand. And that includes taking issues, serious yep. issues like drug abuse and sexual assault very, very seriously. Yep. And in this case, a lot of people failed miserably. Yeah, and I, I guess also like... I mean, I, I think, like, in this report that there are going to be people, there were going, I think there were already people saying, like, oh, I I can figure out who it is, and that's a terrible thing to do, because it's like, okay, just let them come out when they want to. So, in a way, the report kind of led Kyle Beach to come forward, because he had to, because otherwise people would be always asking him, like, oh, were you John Doe? Because it all lines up. Um, but... Um, so, so I think that's, like, the kind of minor unfortunate, but of course it's, like, probably the most courageous things you can do is to, um, mm-hmm. to, to be publicly vulnerable like that. Um, and, of course, like, we are all, um, every, the general public is on his side um, and all that stuff, but it's still um, something where, yeah, he didn't have to do it, but I don't know, at the same time, I feel like the, the report basically doxed him so that he was kind of forced to come out as the as the um the john doe in this case um which also leads me to another point uh, before we go on brett is why does uh, like 
we were kids at growing up. If we do something bad, immediately we're told, own up to it, say you're sorry, yep. learn from it, and move on. Why the hell does it seem so impossible sometimes as an adult to follow through with that advice? Right. Why did it take 11 years for this to happen? Yep. For, for so many people to just stand by and, and do nothing. John Tortorella, I mean, you can talk oh, about yeah. his coaching tactics. You can talk about uh, how he approaches the media sometimes and it rubs you the wrong way. You listen to him talk about real life stuff, and he is 100% on the money almost every single time, especially in this, where he says, this is about multiple people. This is sexual assault. Yep. This isn't a locker room issue. This is bigger than the game itself. How did it take this long for somebody to say, you know what? This is wrong. This yep. is wrong. We have to act now. And like, it feels like, the Chicago Blackhawks and Stan Bowman took responsibility and took action when their brand was at risk. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't they have done this in 2010 where it's like, okay, a lot of people are probably going to hate us for the fact that this went on. It's going to look bad on us, but we're going to say, hey, we're disgusted by this. We're taking action now. This won't happen again. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen again. Instead, 11 years goes by, their brand is at stake, similar to the NHL, and now action gets taken. Yeah. For once, for once, can that not be the case when someone is trying to get their story out, when it looks very, very clear that this looks bad on the league, this looks bad on a fan base, this looks bad on a team? Can, yep. it, be, can, can it be just as simple as just, addressing it right away and not waiting 11 years for something to happen that that part just astonishes me that that they didn't think this would come back around and bite them yeah i mean the the only thing i was thinking of is that in 2010 um it's a different climate than it is right now where like there's yeah. this there's really? whole like you know the me too movement as great as it's been but it's only been like you know, it really started in, like, 2016, 2017. So, like, I, I feel like it's it's more of a look at how the culture had changed where... So, I, I can see why, you know, you're not as... Like, for Kyle Beach to come forward um, shows a lot of strength, especially when you think of sexual assault. Unfortunately, you, you think of, like, women being assaulted by men and not, like, men assaulting another man. Um, so it's um, so that's, like, an extra stigma to it as well. Um, so I, I think it's, um, yes, it, it is definitely terrible that, like, it took us 11 years for all this to come out. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of... Um, you know, I, I, I think it's just progress in the world that, like, okay, we're all taking this thing seriously, and all the people who did know at the time are getting their comeuppance right now. Um, there was also yeah. two separate incidents involving hockey, the Graham James stuff with the Swift Current Broncos. Yep. Uh, Sheldon Kennedy was impacted by that. 
Uh, former NHL superstar Theo Fleury was impacted by that. Yep. There was also, I believe, uh, repeated incidents involving, I think it was an usher at Maple Leaf Gardens, yep. named Gordon Stuckless, and people, like every time they see his face, their stomach churns probably at this point. Yep. Also, that, All of that happened years before this. Right. And, also, and still it happened here. Also, the Akima Liu situation was happening in Rockford, their AHL affiliate at the same time, mm-hmm. too. Um, so, so yeah, there's also, like, the Blackhawks just weren't in a great space, even though... What was interesting, too, is, like, I remember back at that time was, like, you know, uh, Bill Wirtz had died, and they were talking about how Rocky Wirtz, the son, had kind of, like, put the Blackhawks into prominence finally again, and they were actually a good team and all that stuff. So it's just, like, and they hadn't won in forever, at that point in time. So it was just interesting that like they were winning all these hockey games and like the media was glowing about how they've come into prominence and all that stuff. And then meanwhile, they're covering up a sexual assault case. They have like a, a coach in the minors calling another, a player, the N word, um, in a derisive way in the AHL. So it's just like, um, there's just a bunch of stuff that they had to all cover up and it it just, you know, yes, it took a long time for both those situations to come to light, but they came to light. And now it's just like, okay, well, um, all right, you, you shouldn't have done what you did and, and all this stuff. So, and um, there there are a lot of brilliant hockey minds within yep. that Blackhawks organization. Even up top, they had Kevin Shettledayoff, they had Mark Bergevin there, they had Stan Bowman there. Yep. A lot of great hockey minds, Joel Quenville behind the bench. And all of that hockey mind is, and all of that uh, skill on the ice, you know, that's great. But think about this long and hard after you finish listening to this podcast. Yep. Would you rather be on a team that royally sucks but has good morals or on a team that wins championships and has bad morals? Not to say that the Blackhawks have bad morals, but really – Think about that question for a second. Yep. Because I think there are so many things that are bigger than a winning season and a losing season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know this happened in 2010, but it it also taints the 2013 and 2015 season as well. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the same people were involved um, in, in those cups as well. So it's like... Yeah, it's like, you know, if you're a Blackhawks fan, or if I was a Blackhawks fan, I probably wouldn't be <laughs> right now. Um, I, and there I, are Hawks be, fans yeah. that, that prior to the start of the season said they were tired, they were sick and yep. tired, they they wouldn't they wouldn't stand up for their team anymore unless right. they saw significant change, both on the ice and with this investigation yeah, yeah. as well. There were also, I believe in the interview, Kyle Beach was talking to Rick Westhead, he mentioned that some of... The players, I think, were making like homophobic slurs yep. or mocking him after this incident happened. Yep. Obviously, didn't name names. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a to second. Say, not yeah. to not to say who those names could be, but it doesn't matter who those players are. It tells me a lot about the mindset of that team, where you're mocking a guy who just got sexually assaulted. Yep. Like. I, I don't even have words to describe how wrong that sounds. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second because uh, when we talk about Jonathan Tay's comments in a bit, 
Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that does allude to another part of it too, is that like in the media, um, you know, Kyle Beach was, you know, whenever you see like, oh, bust alert or like, uh, like draft NHL draft bust, uh, recently, like Kyle Beach was on that list, um, of, Mm -hmm. of all the draft bust and, and obviously hindsight is 2020. No one really knew what was going on. Um, and you know, it was all covered up. So no one knew, but at the same time, it's like, it, it just, it just changes your whole mindset or, you know, changes your whole worldview basically where it's like, okay, this person was struggling, but, um, and never played an NHL game, but then, you know, you don't know the behind the scenes stuff. It, like maybe it was just like, he was generally seen as this, like, you know, just a lazy person. When clearly that wasn't true, it was just the team let him down. So it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like, okay, well now that we know that this thing happened and could, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's other organizations that um have have done the similar thing, and we'll get to that in a second when we talk about Bill Guerin. But um, but yeah, it's just like you know when you see these bust lists, it's like. Okay, maybe it's not just the on ice performance stuff or what he was doing in practice. It's like maybe there was other things that were uh, going on that we just weren't aware of. So that's just something to keep in mind of when you, whenever you see these like, oh, this guy was a bust. It's like, well, he was also a human and um, he was also mm-hmm. you know doing stuff, and we don't know what what was actually going on. I mean, uh, we talked to. Um, that guy, um, the Canadians guy, and Louis it, LeBlanc, yeah. yeah, Louis LeBlanc, and it seemed like you know, it, I mean, there, it seemed like there was a lot of pressure and all that stuff. But when we were talking to him, he seemed to just have a, like it was just a lot of like he, he just got the pressure just really got into him and stuff like that, and it, you know, it really did. Like I, I love that he was able to come on the show, but. It really did feel like he he didn't want to talk about it because it's just you know sometimes that just happens where it's like okay it just wasn't a fit so um, so yeah I, I think that's the other thing where it kind of changes your mind where it's like oh this person was a bust but maybe there was another reason why um, he was a bust and not just the on ice stuff um, mm-hmm. so more aftermath Stan Bowman is also removed from Team USA as the GM which makes sense. Um, Bill Guerin is now the new Team USA GM, but I didn't realize this until it happened, but Bill Guerin is now involved in a separate sexual assault cover-up in Pittsburgh. Uh, this, this happened, uh, or this came out around the same time as the Chicago stuff came out. Uh, but, um, but yeah, we, we don't know the full amount of it yet, but there, there could be another case coming pretty shortly that could uh, lead to Bill Guerin being fired from Minnesota and Team USA GM. So currently Team USA is is not in the greatest space right now because uh, both uh, Bauman and Guerin are uh, uh, in uh, inter- uh, not great situations right now. So uh, we'll see. Um, so in terms of the Bill Guerin, just quickly, yeah, um, that, that happened while he was in Pittsburgh. 
Yep. The GM was Jim Rutherford at the time. So if you're going to look into the Bill Gear and look into how much Jim Rutherford knew because he was the guy calling the shots right. there. Um, it also leads to the question of, okay, if you're going to go down this route of like punishing people, obviously, you know, the head coach and the GM and the ownership are, and the front office executives are going to be the first people you look into before you look into the assistant general managers and the assistant coaches and what they knew. That that doesn't mean that Bill Guerin is going to get off scot-free. It depends on what he knew, what he, what he did in this situation. Um, that's all going to factor into things. But if we're going to get into the habit of just going into the guilty by association verdict where it's like, oh, you were employed by the Hawks. Well, you probably knew something about this and you're gone. That's that's not obviously how the legal process is going to work. The other question is, if the league goes down that route and more of these cases continue to pop up, then we're going to be looking at a lot of bad apples in the publicity and like, oh, look at look at their role, what they did with 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 this mishandled situation. Uh, it could it could look bad on the league if if more and more people are are getting caught up uh, in these rumors. And if these rumors turn out to be fact, all of a sudden you're looking at a league-wide problem, not just a yeah. one-team problem. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Um, but it is weird that like Team USA somehow picked, like of all the GMs, there's a plenty of GMs who are <laughs> yeah. from the U.S. who are pretty good, Don Sweeney being one of them. And you pick two guys who are in like involved in these scandals. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's crazy. Um, also, I mentioned it before, Donald Fair ignored the report, he should be gone, um, but more attention should be made towards that, it's kind of crazy that he still has a job, I know it was 11 years ago, but uh, there's no excuse for that. Um, yeah, so, uh, Kyle Beach, as a matter of fact, was actually asked, uh, would you hold him to the same standards, uh, um, as, you know, some of the other guys, um, that could have done something, and, and... Kyle Beach's response was, I would. Yep. He's a guy that represents the players, um, and he never played any NHL regular season games, but he played preseason games. He was a black ace on the Chicago Blackhawks, but he was under affiliation with an NHL roster at the time. So technically, albeit as a black ace, he was an NHL player when this happened. And he says for him to turn his back on the players when his one job is to protect the players at all costs, mm -hmm. I don't know how that can be your leader. And he's 100% right when he says that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why Fair still has a job. It's crazy. Because there was a lot of commotion about, like, well, Quenville should be gone, Shovel Dayoff should be gone. There was so, I saw some people who were saying, like, Ber even Bergevin should have been gone, too. But, like... Donald Fair should be the real, like, pitchfork guy, because it's like, what what are you doing? Like, obviously, Quenville should be gone, but um, Fair, like, what <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, this is another thing I mentioned at the top. Uh, one higher up mentioned to Rick Westhead, who, by the way, Rick Westhead, if Rick Westhead and Katie Strang weren't covering the story, I don't think any of this would come to light. So uh, mm -hmm. kudos to them. This is like... If you're if you're an investigative journalist um, and want to get into the NHL, uh, look up to Rick Westhead and look up to Katie Strang because they're, they're they did everything right in this uh, situation. Um, 
And they're still doing it. Like, <laughs> like I saw the request I was still tweeting out today. Um, but anyways, one uh, higher up mentioned to Westhead that he couldn't understand how a guy as big as Kyle could um, be sexually assaulted by a smaller dude like Aldridge. Um, and this is like, you know, I, I think it's a good thing that this is like, you know, this guy's anonymous because, um, this just shows that there's like some miseducation in terms of how sex, the sexual assault dynamic works. It's like, yeah, there is a chance that like, a, you know, there is a size stuff that could be like a power dynamic there, but there's also like a power dynamic in terms of actual hierarchy in in the team where a video coach is higher up on the totem pole than uh, a black ace like Kyle Beaches. So it's like maybe Brad Aldrich was like, hey, I'll if you do some favors for me, I'll, uh, you know, you have a better shot at playing some games, um, things like that. So it, it's not just like the fact that there's like a physical a difference of it is there's also like a power structure, which is clear what happened in this situation. Um, so I just wanted to get that out there just to educate people that that's probably um, how it went down. If, if you're kind of confused as to like how that actually could happen, it's still, um, it can still happen. It, you know, it doesn't matter your size or, or all that stuff. Just, just want to yeah. get that out there. My, my, my plain and simple response to that is shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. So, yeah. Whoever said that, shut the hell up. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe there – I, I want to give that guy a, a benefit of the doubt saying that maybe he just didn't understand it or, you know. I, I'm just trying to, like, educate the person in case he's oh, yeah, listening no. to this. Uh, but, yes, you're right. If, if that is the case, then it's just like – but I feel like that's everyone's first response to just like, eh, yeah, yeah, nah, not exactly. <laughs> yeah, not like it's, it can still, it can still happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, it looks like Brad Aldrich's name is going to get off the cup, but it hasn't happened just yet. But like it, there's like some, I don't know how this actually works, but I think they have to like melt the whole cup or like the whole ring or something like that. But it looks like. Or just cross it out. Yeah, or I guess you could cross it out. But that feels lame, too. I, I feel like I would rather, like, just create a new ring where you just put the 2010 team but just leave him out or something. Also, speaking of him and Rick Westhead, um, he said yesterday or two days ago, he still has a job somewhere. He's not in jail. Um, he's He has a glass. He's in a glass company or glass blowing company in, like, Pennsylvania or something. And, uh, his only, um, the only restraint is, is that he can only hire interns that are out of college. Like, he can't have anyone working for him that are not in college or not younger than anything. Which is, it's just crazy that he still has a job. He should be in jail. Um, but I guess that's, that's another infuriating thing about it. Um... Oh, okay. And then, um, so apparently Shevel Dayoff, uh, was in one of these meetings with John Qu Joel Quenville, Bauman, and McIsaac on what to do with this situation. But since he was like a, an assistant GM, um, I guess it, Bettman talked to Shevel Dayoff and Quenville, um, 
and it seems like Cheval Dayoff got out scot-free just because he was an assistant GM at the time, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because it's like, you didn't know, but I think there was also a, a standpoint of, like, there was that power dynamic, because he, you know, the assistant GM isn't this doesn't have the same status as the GM, the coach, or the president. Um, so it's um, so that that's probably another thing about that where it's like, well, Cheval Dayoff is saying like, well, I thought someone else was taking care of it. So um, so that's what why they were um, they let him go. It's still kind of ridiculous because he did know, um, but it, it's whatever. Um, and then Bergevin. Even knew like he may have known, but he was even he was a scout at the time, so he may not have actually known. Or and if he did know, he probably couldn't have done anything about it. So I think that's also why he he didn't uh, do anything. But he may have actually known, but he's not complicit entirely. Um, Out of curiosity, Brett, uh, do do you remember the? The statement that I think was released um, by Gary Bettman um, about the decision not to further punishment, uh, uh, further punish uh, Shovel Day off. Um, uh, I correct don't. me if I'm wrong. Didn't I hear something about that he wasn't em- employed by the Hawks at the time or something like that? Because um, um, just looking at his cap friendly page from August 3rd, 2009 to June 7th, 2011, he was the assistant general manager. On top of those duties, he was also named director of hockey operations for the Hawks on September 7, 2010. So that was a few months after this happened. And he left that post June 7, 2011 as well to become uh, the VP of hockey operations and GM of the Atlanta Thrashers. Yep. Um, just just putting that out there. In terms of Mark Bergevin and his role uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks at the time, looking at his cap-friendly page, uh, he was an assistant coach from October 2008 to July 2009. Then he was named director of player personnel on uh, July 15th, 2009, a role he served until June 14th, 2011, which um, was uh, a fair bit about, I think, a year after this happened. And then uh, on June 15th, 2011, uh, he was named assistant General Manor, a role that he served until late April of 2012. Then he went to join Montreal after that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I I think as I mentioned that I guess both of them weren't like didn't have like a high power job in in the Blackhawks situation. Um, but true, and there's only so much they could have yeah. done. But it's not like they weren't there. They were right. There. Right, they were there. Um, and they probably knew, but it's hard to, like, there wasn't a ton of proof that Bergevin knew, um, and Shevel Dayoff probably knew because he was in those meetings, but, um, but yeah, again, because he wasn't a GM, he wasn't a coach, he wasn't a, um, a president. Um, he yeah, wasn't. I, I yeah. feel like unless there's like overwhelming evidence for Bettman to say, yeah, um, you, you sh- this guy shouldn't be employed under your watch, yep. and if you guys aren't going to do something about it, then I'm going to. Right. Um, I, I feel like there has to be like egregious amount of evidence of, okay, yeah, this guy clearly messed yep. up, he needs to be disciplined. And so. we'll, we'll talk about Joel Quenville after we talk about Jonathan Taze, but um, but yeah, it's, it's very clear that John Quen- Joel Quenville knew 
and went out of his way to uh, make sure this was covered up. So, um, so yeah, he's directly responsible of that kind of stuff. Whereas like Shevel Day Off didn't write a letter of recommendation for Aldrich or anything like that. So, um, there is some deniability there. Um, okay. So now we go to Jonathan Tays and actually this was, this was actually when it really started to hit me that this is like a very, very uh, serious situation was, um, and I even brought it up on the show, uh, when we talked, when we did our Chicago Blackhawks, uh, preview was, uh, Nick Boyden, uh, mentioned, uh, that he, uh, all the players knew about the situation. Um, and he said that for sure, Patrick Kane knew for sure. Patrick Sharp knew. And, um, I think there was another one, a uh, big guy that they knew that he's, he claimed knew as well. But uh, he didn't mention Jonathan Taze, and that kind of brought into question of, like, well, did Jonathan Taze know or not? Um, and then you would have to wonder that if, like, Kane and Sharp knew, then, of course, John, the captain would know. Um, and then um, he said that, uh, so then Jonathan Taze was asked about it again uh, this time. And he said that, I thought what I'd heard was the beginning and the end of it. Um, he heard about it. Okay. Yeah. So he recalled that there was a, a story from a bunch of guys talking outside the Southern place hotel on near the near North side where the Hawks were holding a meeting before the start of their training camp, uh, the next year. But even then he did not really quote unquote, not really consider taking any action in response. Um, I thought what I'd heard was the beginning and end of it. Not that it was a joke, but it was something that I wasn't taken super seriously at the time. I thought Aldridge being let go or resigning from the organization was the way that it was dealt with. To me, it was water under the bridge. Had I been more connected to it in any way to the situation and known some of the more gory details of it, I'd like to say, yeah, I would have acted differently in my role as captain for sure. Um, then he goes on to say, describe Beach as a happy-go-lucky kid. Um, which was the same term that Kane, Patrick Kane used, and we'll get into him in a second. Um, By the way, Patrick Kane said that he and then uh, Rockford, I saw his winger, uh, yeah. Kyle Beach, had connected during prior training camps together, adding that um, that uh, Akeem Aliou was another guy that right. uh, he hung out with, and that us three, Kane's words, seemed to be together a lot. Yep. So I wonder if, I, and I don't know this for sure, but... When all the stuff was happening to Akeem Aliou, did he reach out to guys like Kane and Taves? And did Kyle oh, yeah. Beach reach out to guys like Kane and Taves as well? Yeah, no, I don't know what it was like there. Uh, but I, the I, not to say that I know the answer to that or to say I'm suggesting anything, but that question does pop into my mind. Yeah. It's like, I, I find it hard to believe that 11 years this went on, the yep. only two guys left on that team are Kane and Taves. Right. And and just a lot of their statements, and of course we'll go on, yeah, but uh, just to stop you real quick. No, it's fine. A, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of questions seem unanswered when I was just listening to that. It's like, not to say like they fully denied it, like right. they... It was, it was just, it seemed like there was a lot of like tongue-in-cheek there. And yeah, again, yeah. not to say that they... They, they, they're not they taking knew it seriously, other yeah. things and they weren't leading on to the media about, but 
I, I just, I, it just felt a little empty just reading some yeah. of the comments. I kind of expected a, a more stern response. Yeah. Of, well, I haven't even like gotten to the worst part yet. Support Kyle Beach than reflecting on what happened in the past. I haven't even gotten to the worst part yet, but yes. Um, so, uh, so then Taze is asked about uh, Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac, um, who is the uh, longtime executive um, for the uh, the program or you know, th- uh, for the team. Um, so he goes to say to me, Stan and Al make any argument you want. They're not directly complicit in the activities that happen, which is not true. Um, I just know them as people and I've had relationships and friendships with them for a long time as part of the Blackhawks family. People like Al and Stan have made coming to the Blackhawks one of the special places to play hockey uh, regardless of the mistakes that may have been made for someone like Stan, who has done so much for the Blackhawks and Al as well, to lose everything they care about and their livelihoods as well, I don't understand how that makes it go away to just delete them from existence and say, that's it, we'll never hear from them again. So, um, so a lot to take in from that, from, from that statement. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is not something you want to be saying as a captain, um, because, like, yes, I can understand that uh, Taze owes a ton of his life uh, and his career to Stan Bowman. Uh, he, you know, Stan Bowman drafted him. Yes, it was third overall. He would have been drafted by another team. But, you know, and then, you know, Taze was made captain by Stan Bowman. Um, they have a great relationship with each other. So I get why he, he says that. But to be public about that, right now... When, when Kyle Beach went on air and said that he felt like he didn't exist because of Stan Bowman's decisions. It's, it's unfathomable. It just, like, shows that he doesn't get it at all. Like, and I can understand, like, yeah, maybe, if I take him at his word that he didn't know until um, the next year and uh, he just didn't look into it. Like, your job as a captain is to make sure that every player is understood, every player is getting along, every player is, like, a part of the team. And Kyle Beach felt like he was invisible in this locker room. He he felt like he was not being heard. He felt like he was not doing that. And yes, there there is, like, Jonathan Tay's probably, you know, if he had, you know, gone up and said, like, hey, um, you know, I don't like this, this is wrong, there's a whole, like, you know, set of courage for that type of behavior, but it's so crazy to me that, like, not only is he right now saying that, uh, Jonathan, like, that, uh, um, yeah, he, he should have done better and all that stuff. And, and like, right now, he's um, he's still, like, saying, like, oh, well, yeah, Stan Bowman, he's the greatest. He, you know, he gave me my career. He's, like, I don't think this should erase them at all. It's, like, he, 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 st- he stepped down because he was complicit, Jonathan Tays. What don't you understand about that? Um, and what's crazy too is that like at the time and not so much now, but, uh, definitely not so much now, but like at the time he was compared to Sidney Crosby, not, uh, yeah, he was, he's a good hockey player, obviously, but like, and he's a good leader cause he, you know, you know, 
leading them to three straight uh, three cups in five years is not nothing to sneeze at, obviously. But to completely ignore um, Kyle Beach and to completely like once you find out, fine, whatever. There's like the power dynamics from a player. Um, even as a captain, there's not much really you can do. So I, I can give him somewhat of a benefit of a doubt there. He's still, like, he's not just a terrible person, uh, terrible captain. He's a terrible person. It's just like, you hear the stories like, oh, this guy got sexual, one of my player, one of my teammates got sexually assaulted. I'm the captain. I didn't go to talk to Kyle Beach, at least. I didn't, like, do anything. I just assumed it was handled. Like, what? It, it's just, uh... Like this, like what's what's crazy is that like I I don't want anyone to say that Jonathan Taze is like an exceptional captain again. Um, I I know what he was what he did on the ice. This is just inexcusable. He like this is just crazy that he was like and like to even like glowingly give this remark to like Stan Bowman saying like oh I I wish he wasn't gone like. What, what are you doing, Jonathan Tate? It's just... Uh, this might actually be the most frustrating part about this whole thing. It's just like... What, like, we we ha- we held Jonathan Tate as this, like, high-character guy. He was one of the good... Like, supposedly one of the good guys here. And it's just like a fall from grace here. Because, like... Like, you're... Like, even with this response, if you were just saying that, like... Yeah, we should do a better job. That, that's fine. Like, or like, you know, this is an old boys club, like what Taylor Hall said, what even like Alex DeBrinket said was that like, yeah, this is a terrible situation and, um, we just have to move on. This is like, he, he not only didn't do that, he glowingly complimented Stan Bowman for everything that he's done in the Chicago organization. Just unbelievable. So my reaction to that is you look at the Florida Panthers and we'll talk about the Joel Quenville stuff, but after Quenville left after the post game, and maybe they were asked about Quenville, but the post game audio that I heard from guys like Aaron Eckblatt, guys like Jonathan Huberto, who, by the way, were not in the league when this happened. Yep. Just right now. Um, Not a word was spoken about Joel Quenville and the audio that I heard and they were all in unison saying we support Kyle Beach. Yep. It was all about Kyle Beach, his story, his bravery to come out and say these things and to say we have Kyle's back. Forget the coach that was employed by us that has taught us everything we've learned for the past 2 to 3 years. Yep. They were on Kyle Beach's side, not Joel Quenville. Yep. And also that is something that, also, the Panthers should... were undefeated at that point too. It's like yeah, and, and yeah, <laughs> they're, they're still <laughs> they're the like, hottest you know, team in the like, league. Yeah, 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 one of the best teams in the league. Right, right. Could still be. Um, which, which again, we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, it, in regards to the Stan and Al comment by Jonathan Taves, Stan Bowman. I don't know any of these guys, by the way. Don't know a thing about them. Yep. He probably knows a lot more than I do. Stan Bowman, in terms of what he's done in the game of hockey, in terms of what he's done off the ice, he might be a good person overall. He might be. Same with Al McIsaac. He might be a good person. I remember a story about Joel Quenville and Dan Carcillo 
hugging each other before a game after Steve Monador suddenly passed away. And that wrecked Dan Carcillo to the point where he was in tears. He said, I can't play tonight. And Joel Quenville hugged Dan Carcillo and had the players back. There are several instances during Joel Quenville's time in this league, whether it was with St. Louis, whether it was uh, Colorado, Chicago, and then later in Florida, there are a lot of instances that show him to be a character guy and a good coach. He's top five in wins. He's been in this game for a long time. He might be a good person. Collectively, all of these people for 11 years let one player down, and they need to pay the price for that. It doesn't matter how good of a person they are. It doesn't matter what they've done over the past 10, 15, 20 years, however many years in this league. The fact is, over the past 11, they didn't do enough to help Kyle Beach. And that's why we're talking about this. It's what they did in this situation, which was not nearly good enough to help Kyle Beach, to help this guy. And that's why we're talking about them. Not anything else, this instance. Yep. That's it. Yeah, I mean, like, and even if the players, like, were to speak up, even, like, yeah, if if you take Taze at his word that he only found out afterwards, fine, whatever. Um, and he probably has his own interpretation. He's only yeah. seen the good side of Stan Bowman or Alec Isaac not that, that, the bad side, but... He's got his own interpretation yeah. of how he sees them as but, people but, because but like, he sees what he sees, but he hasn't seen what Kyle Beach has seen. But, but like, okay, he hasn't so, been through that lens, you know? Anyways, so so he finds out about this after the Cup win uh, the next year, whatever, fine. That that could plausibly be true. Um, he doesn't do anything about that afterwards. He's just like, oh, okay, this guy's gone. I All right, now I'm... You know, all right, this guy got sexually assaulted, and I'm I'm just gonna go on my merry way and do nothing. Um, that that seems kind of ridiculous to me too. Um, it's like okay, so now like then you're kind of a a part of it of that just because you knew about it at that point too. And I guess there is some some also standpoint of like the players ultimately don't have a ton of power in this situation because. Because then they're probably also worried about their own ice time and all that stuff. Um, and so it, it would take a, an extra set of courage for any of these players to stand up once they find out about it. So I will give them that that benefit of the doubt because then they're probably like worried about like, well, I could be traded. I could be I could get uh, bad ice time as well. Uh, so so I do understand it from that dynamic. But at the same time, like. At this instance, you can't be, like, complimenting Stan Bowman to the nth degree at this time. It's just, like, think about it. Like, Kyle Beach just poured his art out on national television, and you're talking about how, how sad it is that Stan Bowman's gone. Like, what, what what's going on? Um, and and, and yep. the, the other thing with, with that comment is... Being an NHL captain is so much more than just leading a team. It's not just leading by example on the ice. It's not just about off the ice being a good community guy, being a good role model for people. 
it's about handling these unthinkable situations like this, things that you're not prepared for as a captain. And yep. these moments really showcase who the real leaders are. And he might have the C on his chest, but Jonathan Taves, to me right now, he's got a lot to prove as a leader. I don't really think he's a leader on this Hawks team anymore. Yeah. It, I, it, it at least gives me pause to say that at least. I, 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 I will never deny the talent of the 2010 Hawks or the 2013 Hawks or the 2015 Hawks. Those teams were great. In between, they had some good years too. But character-wise, I'm not going to look at that team the way I once did. Yep. Not with this. I, I think a lot of hockey fans are, are, are feeling the same way. So, um, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so now we're finally talking about Joel Quenville. Um, I think we alluded to this before. I forget if I actually mentioned it or not. But uh, he was in the room to decide on what to do with Aldridge um, during the playoff game. He was in the meetings with um, uh, Bowman and um, a bunch of presidents and higher-ups to decide on what to do with Aldridge. And, um, and then even still... He also wrote a letter of recommendation for Brad Aldrich to go to the, th- his next job where he decided to assault another person. Uh, so it's not just that he was in the room to decide stuff compared to what Shevel Dayoff went through, which he was in the, the room for that. But he also wrote a letter of recommendation for Aldrich, which just shows that he's willing to cover it up and let this thing continue to go on which is ridiculous, which is, I think that's even more heinous than anything else. Um, and he also had previously mentioned that he had no idea this was going on, which is, we now know is not true. So, um, so yeah, he, um, what was crazy too is he was playing, uh, he was still allowed to coach um, that the day this report came out, um, even though he was, he was going to talk to Gary Bettman the next day, What's crazy is, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I did see this compared to, uh, was uh, Sean Avery made that sloppy seconds comment in the playoffs. Um, and he was, there was a game that day, um, and he was uh, he was going to talk to Gary Bettman the next day. Uh, Sean Avery couldn't play um, because, uh, for whatever reason. And, and that, that's... Like, th- what, what Joel Glenville is doing is a billion times worse than what Sean Avery did. Um, so so that's kind of gr- crazy. And even, like, still, for, like, suspended hits on player, like, that players have, they can't play any games until there's an actual hearing. Um, and Joel Glenville was somehow able to coach. Um, but, yeah, and, and I, I mean, I would be upset even if it wasn't against my Bruins, but... It was against my Bruins, and they won. But, um, but yeah, it's just ridiculous that he was he was even able to to coach. It's ridiculous. Um, anyways, he does talk to Batman. I don't think Batman really did anything or was going to do anything. But Quinville did resign um, or was forced to resign. Um, and yeah, this was definitely the right move. Um, and, um, as, and as I mentioned before, the Panthers were undefeated at the time. Um, but yeah, as you were mentioning, the guys like Barkov, guys like, um, Ekblad were, and Huberdeau, who were, um, they were all 
on Kyle Beach's side. So um, it was something that I guess is inevitable uh, when it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing well. We're finally on a, on a good thing. We, we finally have a good thing going in Florida. But, um, but yeah, this, you know, Joel Glenville has to go and stuff. Also, what was interesting too is that like uh, the, during the post game stuff, Taze was available, Patrick Kane was available. Um, so at least they spoke. I, I'm still critical of what they were saying, but at least they spoke. John Glenville ducked it <laughs> completely, <laughs> and uh, that's the most cowardly thing you can do. He like Kyle Beach has more balls than John Joel Quenville will ever have. Like what? Like okay, like you shouldn't have even been coaching at that game. You should at least go to the press conference. But he completely t- took the coward way out. He left and and didn't speak to the media. It's just um, it's crazy too. Like this guy is another. Now, did, did we find out if that was a team decision or not? Because there could have been a case of I, Bill Zito saying, yeah. "You and I are going to have a chat tomorrow. You're not going to speak to the media. We're going to oh. sort this tomorrow." You that, that's also possible. Right, you don't say a word. It's also possible. I guess Bill Zito uh, did have a message, or the Florida Panthers did say that, like, oh. Quenville's not going to be talking, and uh, we're we're aware that we're going to try to comply with the NHL in their situation. But, but I don't think he. I don't think he. Point, now that I'm thinking about it, why was he coaching? Right, right, right. And, yeah, that, that's a good point too. Um, and but like it, like they did say that they're going to um, they're going to do whatever the NHL tells them to do, um, and they're they're aware of this serious situation. But I don't think they explicitly said like yeah Bill Zito said that Quinville can't uh, can't do the presser so yeah and and you're right like the the Panthers could have just pulled Quinville from coaching as well they could have done something um, mm-hmm. so so maybe yeah I don't think it was the Panthers decision it was just like all right Qu- like Quinville just may have told Zito like hey I'm I'm not doing this <laughs> and then Zito's just like all right I guess Quinville's not doing the press search tonight, but not that it matters. It's just Gwenville is a, is a slimy guy um, and, and a coward. There are a couple of things that Gwenville's going to have to do if, if he's even lucky to get another coaching gig yep. and, and not, and I mean, after ducking Kyle Beach all these years, I don't know if either side's going to be open to it. But I think it's very important if Joel Quenville gets a second chance at any NHL position, even if it's as an assistant coach, even if it's a behind-the-scenes guy, I think he needs to have a conversation with Kyle Beach. And by a conversation, I mean he sits there and he takes it. He doesn't say a single goddamn word. He sits there, he lets Kyle Beach talk, and he hears him out from start to finish. Because I I don't know how, as a coach, you can move on without having that conversation with Kyle Kyle Beach. That conversation has to happen if if Kyle Beach is is willing to, to even have a chat with Joel Quenville. Like, I don't know how he can carry on with his life without just skipping through that whole, you know, I've learned this time. If you've really learned, you're going to hear from the guy who you let down for the past 11 years. 
by not doing nearly enough to help him. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that is the main thing that he has to do. In terms of Joel Quenville's future, I don't know if the NHL should have him coaching again. I Honestly, I don't think they should. And I also think, I don't know if he should be automatically banned from the Hall of Fame, but I hope the media thinks long and hard before even considering putting him in in any capacity in the Hall of Fame. He definitely has the numbers for it, but the numbers are just numbers at this point. Who really cares if he's top five all-time in wins? Who cares about the teams that he coached and how good those teams were? Who cares? This guy let Kyle Beach down for 11 years. Yep. You as as someone who goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame, if you're a 10, 11 year old kid, and you're walking into the Hockey Hall of Fame for the first time, you're looking at the faces of all these legends, and you're just like, I want to be just like that guy. Do you think you're really sending the right message? Given what we know about Joel Quenville and his actions throughout this whole thing, do you think it really makes sense to have him as a role model that the kids look up to? I really think as a as the Hockey Hall of Fame, they need to consider that moving forward. And even with former Hockey Hall of Fame members, if they've done egregious things in the past that makes that makes it seem like they're bad role models, I, I think they really have to consider, okay, are these guys Hall of Famers? Like, on the ice, yes. But in terms of the game of life, are they Hall of Famers? Yeah. That That's something I think the Hockey Hall of Fame needs to consider. Not to say that, you know, we want to turn... We want to, like, go all full cancel culture on these bad apples and, and stuff like that. But, like, really, we need to, as members of... Like, if I'm a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame committee, I re, I'm i really thinking about that question right now. Does this guy, in terms of role model, terms of characteristics, how he, how he handles people, how he approaches difficult situations like this, do we really want this guy... Where 10, 11, 12-year-olds look up to saying, I want to be just like that guy. Yep. Do we do we really want characters like that being showcased in Hockey's Greatest Shrine? I really think we need to consider that. Well, on, on that note, Bobby Hull's in the Hall of Fame. So. Yep, and I knew that's exactly what you were going to mention. <laughs> that guy in particular. So, so uh, um, in case you guys don't know, Bobby Hull is a domestic abuser. Um, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Um also a Nazi synthesizer there too, but um, but yeah, so so I, I I don't I mean I don't think he's getting the Hall of Fame just because of this, but um I do want to mention that because I was looking this up just to see what uh like what like what was his statement and stuff because I thought I heard that like Quenville wasn't taking this seriously, but but at the same time I did see this quote. Um, he said that I, I want to express my sorrow for the pain this young man Kyle Beach has suffered my former team the blackhawks failed kyle and i own my share of that um i want to reflect on how all of this happened and take the time to educate myself on ensuring hockey spaces are safe for everyone um so i think even like the idea that he was like he was chosen to resign he wasn't fired he just chose to resign is evidence that like you know Maybe it was just like Batman's or it was um, Zito's or whoever is in charge of firing coaches uh, just decide to like be like, okay, you, you should probably resign if, since you do feel badly enough 
and then you can start to rebuild yourself up, kind of like what Babcock's doing now, uh, where he's like, you know, he's still in media and stuff. I'm sure some media person will pick Joel Quenville up like they did for Babcock. Um, so, um, so I'm sure that will happen eventually, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think he'll be uh, coaching on a team for a very long time. Um, and, and this is where the yep. NHL is going to be like really tested, Brett, yep. because if, if I'm a hockey fan, I don't want to read a headline like this ever, ever yep. again. And in order for that to happen, obviously, you need to make sure that you have the right protocols in place where you can educate people to, to show them that this is wrong. We won't stand for this. Yep. But we also need to um, make sure that appropriate punishments are in place like like you know like someone getting suspended or you know like like rules of the law like in real life like you know you're probably going to face jail time if you do this and this and this and like this will be on on your track record or you know you're you're going to be on like a sexual offender's list in in cases of of sexual assault right you need to make sure proper punishment measures are in place so that this doesn't happen again. And Gary Bettman can chat with Joel Quenville. He can chat with um, Bill Zito, the GM of the Panthers. He can chat with whoever. He can chat with Kyle Beach. It, it doesn't really matter who he chats with. Um, and it doesn't matter whose opinions he hears out. This is where action matters now. Words will mean absolutely nothing. Gary Bettman has to act. This league has to act. And they need to act now. So so I'm interested to see moving forward um, what measures the league needs to implement. Because they they need to do something. Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, what's interesting is I I think I'd still feel uncomfortable if Babcock was coaching again. Um, Same Mm -hmm. with Bill Peters. And, like, what Quenville did was a thousand times worse, which... It just shows how bad what Quenville was doing. So, yeah, I, w- I would feel uncomfortable if Quenville um, ever coaches again. But, on the other hand, I do believe that people can change um, and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, I, I think I saw that Bettman said that, like, yeah, uh, Quenville can come back, but he has to, like, approve of Quenville even being interviewed by a team in order to do that, to assess, like, how Quenville is um, managing and that he actually has learned and stuff. So it is, like, all in Bettman's discretion on if he can come back or not. Um, but, but yeah, who knows if that's actually going to happen and who knows how long Bettman will be commissioner. Um, what so. I do know is that you can't – it can't be a case of, like, you know, you punish the Devils right. for the Kolchuk situation and walk away from it yep. or punish uh, – the coyotes for the um the combine scandal stuff and walk away from it it this this can't be a situation where you're black you find the blackhawks two million you get rid of stan bone you get rid of joe quenville and bing bang boom you don't need to do anything else the the action doesn't stop here for the nhl it can't or else we will be dealing with this again yep yep. which which pains me to say because i don't want it of course yeah um okay uh so we do have these last two questions and it's kind of on ice stuff. Uh, what do yeah. the Blackhawks do now, and what do the Panthers do now? Um, for the Blackhawks, it's it is kind of tough because 
there's this whole scandal and they have to like just hope that people just move on and, and forget about it. Not forget about it, but like not um, do it. But yeah, I think in the, like the short term, it's it's going to be pretty bad. Um, I, I think they lost a lot of fans. I, I know someone in my league who used to be a Chicago Blackhawks fan and now he's a LA Kings fan now and I assume he's not the only one so they probably lost a lot of fans um I think there is a chance that they're going to change they're just going to rebuild or not rebuild but rebrand um completely and actually finally remove the Blackhawks logo that is racist um I think that would be a good step in the right direction of like okay like, yeah, we, we, we royally screwed up uh, 11 years ago, um, and uh, we've been doing this all under a racist logo. So if they rebrand, it's kind of like they're a different, you know, a different team almost. Um, and, it, you know, you can kind of start from scratch. The only difference from that standpoint is that, like, the Blackhawks are an original six team, so it would have to be... Um, there's all that other complications of stuff where it's like, okay, well, you can't really, the NHL can't really talk about the original six now when the Blackhawks are no longer the, the team name for Chicago. Um, so, so I think that would be the immediate move. Um, what is interesting though, is that they're kind of in a similar situation that, um, the senators were in after that Matt Duchesne trade and the Sharks were after that Eric Carlson trade where they're pretty bad. They don't have their first round pick. Um, and, um, and yeah, so it's, it, it could get pretty ugly. Um, it is, I think it's like top one protected, but it's not, um, but it, it's still pretty bad cause they could be bad for quite a while. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would probably push for a rebrand if they are going to move on, but who knows if that's actually going to happen. So in terms of the stats part, we'll probably talk about it in Eventually, uh, streaking yeah. teams or slumping teams. So I'm not going to delve into too much of that, but here's, here's what I will say about the Chicago Blackhawks from a team standpoint, from a statistical standpoint. They're not supposed to be this bad right now. Yep. Like, Stan Bowman traded for Seth Jones, traded a first-round pick and a young defensive prospect to make that happen, and also traded for Marc-Andre Fleury and traded for Tyler Johnson, not to be 0-7-2. This wasn't the game plan. If you take a look at the Arizona Coyotes right now, they are 0-8-1 in their first nine games. Their power plays at 8%. Their penalty kills 58.6%. They've averaged just under 25 shots per game. Their face-off win percentage is 46.5%. They're 0-8-1, by far the worst in the league. Chicago's only given up one fewer goal than the Coyotes. And their power play is 25%. Their penalty kill is 87.1%. And they've averaged almost 30 shots a game. And yet they only have one more point and one fewer goal against than Arizona. With Seth Jones, with Marc-Andre Fleury, who just won the Vesna, and with Patrick Kane, 
and a bunch of young studs on that team. It's a catastrophic start for Chicago. And as you mentioned, Brett, they're making up their own place. Yeah. Like, th- this team who, yeah, they got Seth Jones coming out the worst season of his career, but they're still a good team. They can't be making plays no. less than 10 games into the year. That's what teams like Arizona do, where it's just like, yeah, we know we're going to be bad, but let's just go out there, give it our best, see what happens, gel as a team, let the chips fall where they may. you got a young coach like Andre Turingi. He could probably drop some plays just to like lighten the mood a little bit, get the team playing for him. Chicago's not supposed to be 0-7-2. And, and yet, they have a negative 20 goal differential and decent special teams, and they're the second worst team in the NHL behind a team that's clearly supposed to be bad. And on top of that, Dylan Strome, for a time, was healthy scratched multiple times and practicing on the fifth line. A former top three pick, I should also mention while we're talking about former top 10 picks with lots of potential. The fact that they've just mishandled that whole situation is, is just another strike on their hockey operations department. It's, it, it's, it's bad asset management to the upteenth degree. And if firing Stan Bowman was for performance reasons, they wouldn't have let Stan Bowman trade for Seth Jones and made all these moves in the first yeah. place. Yeah, I partially, I do wonder if Stan Bowman made all these moves knowing that he was going to be, like, he was going to be in this mess <laughs> before. No, no, <laughs> he was, he was making these moves to save his job. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, and like, it's just a strange thing, it's like, okay, it didn't even work, and now he can't even <laughs> see it through, even if it did work, it's just, uh, it's crazy. I feel bad for Jeremy Carlton because he's probably on the hot seat now. Yeah. And we're probably going to be talking about the Blackhawks multiple times because I don't think this season's going to get any better for them. I think it no. just keeps getting worse. No, I think you're right. Uh, and then uh, what do the Panthers do now? Uh, so currently, uh, Andrew Brunette, who is the assistant coach, he's the interim head coach for the Panthers. Um, so he's their head coach now. Um, and... I guess there is, like, an idea that maybe they get John Tortorella. Um, There's, uh, or supposedly, according to Kevin Weeks, that John Tortorella is on the short list of guys for their next actual head coach. Um, I was thinking Bruce Boudreaux, he would be interesting, too. Um, But it seems like um, Tortorella and, um, and Boudreaux are probably the only two, the two head coaches that I would... I could see being the Panthers head coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously like Quenville's, a, there's no denying that Quenville's a good head coach, but of course he had to be gone uh, because of this. Um, so um, it's, it is kind of strange though. Cause it's like the Panthers are finally good. They're finally the talk of everyone. It used to be like no one talked about them um, even when they were decent. And now everyone's talking about them, and for the <laughs> the wrong reasons, um, and um, yeah, so it's, um, but yeah, I, I would think Boudreaux or Tortorella would be the two options. Boudreaux would be interesting just because he he does have the playoff experience, um, 
But, you know, of course, he, he doesn't win the game sevens. He hasn't gone past the second round. But, uh, he, you know, this would be the kind of spark that the Panthers would need um, to at least, like, you know, be a, a legitimate contender um, in the league. Uh, and Tortorella would be good, too, because it would, you know, it would help. The, the biggest weakness that the Panthers have is their goaltending. Um, and although Bobrovsky has been pretty good and Spencer Knight has been great as well um, so far, um, I feel like Tortorella could actually help them lock down that defense and lock down the goaltending even more. So so maybe there is that chance as well that um, they, they go with Tortorella who can help with the defense. So obviously from the defensive side of things, I think Tortorella is probably the guy that can get them committed to that two-way style. The The big question to counter that is, okay, well, how much of our secondary scoring is going to suffer? Because that's been arguably their yeah. biggest strength is secondary scoring. Like, sure, Barkov's great and Verhage's good on, on the left wing, but they have Sam Reinhardt, they have Sam Bennett, they have a bunch of uh, different players uh, that are generating good results. for Oh, Oh, yeah. You mentioned the most interesting play because remember the last time Tortorella coached Anthony Duclair? Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> Duclair was at the worst stage of his career. Yeah, this yeah. was before his big season in Ottawa, and he just wasn't getting things figured out. So the counter is, okay, uh, I was, uh, are both sides just going to mend the bridges? and Because like, the other thing is Anthony Duclair, I think, is a different player compared to back then. So I think there would be a more optimistic side of like, okay, this is a fresh start. We'll mend the waters. We'll get back on track, and this 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 time around, things will be much better. Which I definitely hope happens, because Duclair is going to be expected to uh, continue to be a solid death player for Florida. When you look at the leaderboard right now, Huberto and Barkov double digits uh, in points so far. Huberto has eleven, Barkov has ten. Uh, just over pointing game players. Uh, Ekblad is their top scoring defenseman with nine points in nine games. Duclair. Six goals, seven points in nine games. I believe that is tops on the team in uh, goals. Yep, yep, leads the team in goals on just 16 shots. And his ice time per game is 13-14, so not even 14 minutes. <coughs> so a, a lot of that leads me to believe that he's being the optimistic uh, scoring chance guy. Hasn't gotten a single power play point, so all that's even strength. So you're going to really have to try to play to a guy's strengths on this team. And they were under Joel Quenville and so far with Andrew Burnett as interim coach, they've been able to keep that secondary scoring uh, at a decent rate. So that's, that's going to be the key is like, yes, we want to make sure our defense, our team defense is still good, but we also don't want to sacrifice our, our secondary scoring because what we have going is pretty darn good. And we want to keep it that way. So it's going to be a matter of, okay, how is our new coach going to manage the secondary scoring? Yep. So that, that, that would be the second biggest thing they need to worry about. Obviously the team defense comes first, but that's the one thing I don't want to ruin about this team is the secondary scoring because there's a lot of potential there. When you look at the, the Florida Panthers as a team, they're first in the league, 8-0-1. They have scored the most goals. They average almost 34 shots per game. Their power play, their penalty kill, it's looking pretty good. Good. In terms of the majority of the offensive stat categories, they're in a very positive place. And 
that's that's without um, some of their deaf guys uh, in the picture. They bought out, of course, Keith Yandel. Uh, Alex Wenberg is now in Seattle. They've had to say goodbye to some very serviceable death pieces, but they continue to make the most of what they've got. Even as the injuries start to pile up, they've got some guys on injured reserve as well. And once those guys come back, in theory, they should be just as dangerous as ever. So um, there's there's no limits really to what Florida can do this year. I said in my, in my previews that um, – that last year wasn't a fluke, and they're going to be as good. They just need uh, the right coach to lead them. And I know people are going to argue about Bruce Boudreau. It's just like, yeah, we well, can't win game sevens. Well, yeah. neither are the Leafs. And True. they have how many superstar players on their roster? And and the other thing about the Florida Panthers is, you know what they've also had trouble doing? Not just winning playoff series. Making playoffs, period. Right, right. Good point. Bruce Boudreau has no trouble at making the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a good point, too. Um, I'll be curious to see where it lands up, or maybe they stick with Andrew Brunette, who knows. Um, yeah, but, but I can see them sticking with Brunette till the end of the year and then seeing what their options are. Yeah, that's also um, possible. I, I also don't think uh, Tortorella has any urgency to leave, even though he does miss, miss coaching. I can see him working a year at ESPN and then taking a coaching gig if it's available. But... Tortorella, I feel like, is similar to Mike Keenan in the sense that he's not for every team. But I do think there are certain teams where, like, they need a John Tortorella to be their coach. Or their offensive scheme or where they are as an organization in that moment, they need Tortorella as their coach. And I definitely think there are two markets that could fit that bill right now. Florida... And if they're still mediocre at this point, Vegas. Oh. Either one of those two teams could probably hire Tortorella at some point this season, depending on how things go. Um, but if they still get results with Burnett, um, I think that takes away from the urgency for the Panthers uh, to go out and get Tortorella. I think it all depends on where the team is and where uh, Tortorella as a person is, if it, where he stands with the ESPN thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like he's he's doing a good job in um, in ESPN. So he had that whole thing about um, the, the players and uh, you know, speak uh, like not fa- being able to fathom um, how this situation happened. So um, yeah, and 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 for for Tortorella, the other thing that makes him a good quality coach, yep. not just the fact that he's a good hockey mind. You take away his uh, the the occasional tactics aside, where it just annoys you, makes you want to pull your hair out to no end. If you're looking for a coach that will rally a team together and guarantee a sustained amount of success over time, look what he did in Columbus. Yep, no, that's a good point. that 2019 team with Panarin and Duchesne and Bobrovsky and all those guys. They rallied together at just the right time. They almost beat your Bruins bread in the second round, and yep. they swept Tampa Bay in the first round when not too many people expected them to do much of anything against Tampa Bay. And the next year, no Panarin, no Bobrovsky, no Duchesne. They still find a way to make Tampa's life a uh, living H-E double hockey stick by going into the first round, playing a very tight series. And while they did come up short in five games, it wasn't an easy series for Tampa Bay to win. And then prior to that, uh, beat um, a, a very talented Maple Leafs team in, in the playoff bubble. Yep. And prior to that, 
they're still able to stay within the playoff race uh, when the NHL season was suddenly paused due to COVID. So when it comes to getting the most out of a team, Tortorella has proven in several different markets he can do exactly that. I also think that's what Florida needs. They need a sustainable head coach that's going to be there for more than just a couple of years that can get results with this group and get this group to buy into one common goal. And I think Quenville definitely did a good job of that. It's up to the next coach to continue that. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think I, yeah, you know, you're right. Tortorella is a good coach other than that stint he had in Vancouver. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah that, that, that right. was a one-off. And I mean, he, he did well in Tampa. He did well, obviously he did well in Tampa because he won the cup there. Um, and then he did well in the New York uh, with the Rangers. Um, but yeah, it seems like of the four teams he's coached, um, only one was a giant, massive failure. So, um, so yeah, it could work out for him in Florida. Um, and he only had that one year in Vancouver, so it's not like he really had the chance right. to make up for that one year. Too. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Um, yeah, and there was other situ- like things that were going on in Vancouver that attributed to them not being good. Um, exactly. But but it is it is interesting that like this situation so bad that a famously uh, not a player's coach Tortorello um, is for, for the player because um, like you know usually like you know he was benching uh, Pierre Luc Dubois before he leaves he was uh, you know he was kind of uh, benching Patrick Laine a little bit last year. It's like, you know, he's definitely not a player's coach. As you said, he had a, a kind of a, a different um, dynamic with Anthony Duclair. And it's I wouldn't just, say yeah. he's not a player's coach, but he's not for every player. Right. Like, he's not he's not afraid to challenge players. He wants right. to get the most out of them, and that's his way of doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But, like, it, like just to the fact that, like, John Tortorella was so on Kyle Beach's side – um, just mm-hmm. just shows that like this is like you know someone who's not known as a player's coach um, was so for the players it, it just speaks volumes to how serious this is um, mm-hmm. and obviously I, I mean I obviously you, you sh- everyone should be on Kyle Beach's side um, but like uh, it, it just it speaks more volumes when it's like someone like John Tortorella um, um, <clears throat> anyways that's about it for us. Um, sorry for the dark uh, subject matter here, but of course we're all feeling it, so um, we have to we have to talk about it because otherwise we're part of the problem. Um, that's about it, though. Um, we're you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also subscribe to us or follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. There's a lot of hockey news that's up for obvious reasons we didn't get to. There was the Morgan Riley extension. There was potential of a Jack Eichel trade. Yep. We'll talk all about that in the next edition, episode 293 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.